Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. There are so many great things going on at Collective right now, so make sure you are following us on social media at My Collective Church to stay in the loop. Now let's get into Sunday's message. Before my wife and I got married, we talked a lot about whether or not we wanted to have kids. And we came to the conclusion that we didn't think we would be good parents, so having kids didn't really make sense to us. Now, this decision wasn't set in stone, but it was a top option on the table for us. And the more time we spent with our friends who had young kids, the more we felt confident in that decision. Because being around, you know, they're weird, okay? So like being around small kids helped me realize uh, that I don't know how to interact with them. I don't know how to respond when they say weird things. And just in general, they make me feel uncomfortable. But a little over five years into our marriage, Ray woke up one night with just a really intense pain in her side. We're talking 10 out of 10 pain. So we made our way to the hospital, and they found that she had something called an ovarian torsion, and she had to have an emergency surgery. After the surgery, the doctor came and he told us that it was still possible for us to have kids, but our window was much smaller now. You know, we didn't have a lot of years to really wrestle and think about this. Uh, And then he told us that because of the trauma of the torsion and the surgery, that it was likely that Ray wouldn't get pregnant for a while. So we had some time to think about it. And so that's what we did. We went home, we prayed about it, we talked to our friends about it. We really wrestled with whether or not we wanted to have kids. And even though we were still a bit hesitant, we decided uh, that we felt like God was kind of opening a door for us so we would start trying. While we weren't sure if we would be good parents, the surgery kind of changed some things for us. Well, one month later, Ray was pregnant. We did not have many months to figure this out. Uh, and that brought all the feelings. There was excitement, and then there was fear, and then there was joy, and then fear. Mostly it was just nine months of fear of what was going to happen. But nine months later, Ray gave birth to our beautiful little girl that we named Elise. And the first night we were in the hospital, she cried for about six hours straight. And we realized that we had no idea what we were doing and that we were completely in over our heads. And then a day later, they told us it was time to leave the hospital with this child because apparently two days was plenty for us to figure out what we were doing. And so we put Elise in the car seat and got onto the elevator to go home. And I remember looking at Ray like, what the heck is happening right now? Like, we were here two days ago. Now we have this thing. They're like, see ya. You got this. When we know, like, we don't, we don't have this. And that began our parenting journey. Elise cried the whole way home. We were both so overwhelmed and tired and hungry uh, that we stopped at Chick-fil-A and like ate chicken while sobbing uh, and then changed our daughter's diaper in the back of our car. First time we changed it outside the hospital. And then a few years later, we decided, you know what? We should do this again. And so we had another kid named Harper. For the past eight years, Ray and I have often felt like we have no idea what we are doing. We feel like we're failing at this parenting thing. We've messed up, and we know it time and time again. We've spent time Googling things like, what happens if my kid swallows a nickel? Because she did. Uh, We've Googled, can a child get pink eye by using her hands to make her butt talk? (laughs) It can. (sighs) Some of you don't have kids yet. This is not going to help you. Uh, We've Googled, can kids live if they just eat cheese? And how much money should I save now for my future children's therapy? 
it's probably the best investment we've made so far in our lives. Because even though we are absolutely trying our best, it's hard. Right? We are not perfect parents. We make mistakes. We have parented out of our own wounds and our own weaknesses. We have fallen short. But while we often feel like we're doing a lot of things less than perfect when it comes to raising our two girls, there's one thing that we are absolutely confident that we are doing right. We have made faith and church a priority since the day they were born. And because of that, even at eight and four years old, we see that they love the church, they love Jesus, they love collective kids, and we are already seeing the positive impact of that in their lives. You know, collective exists so that people can know that there is a God who loves them unconditionally. We exist so that people can hear that endless second chances are real, that grace is real, that it doesn't matter how messed up you are, how far you are from God, how broken you are, that God still loves you and desires to be in a relationship with you. But I think that sometimes when we sit in this room, we forget that that message isn't just for adults. It's for our students and our kids as well. And that's why days like today matter so much at Collective. Like Katie said, today is Next Step Sunday. This is when our fifth graders graduate out of Collective Kids. Some of these kids have been in there since the start of Collective, and they're officially heading into this room next week. This is when they can start serving. This is when they start attending our small group for middle schooler and high schoolers called Youth Collective. This is when next week you'll be sitting in a row with some newly minted sixth graders, and they'll watch you as you worship learn and grow, and they will learn from you as you do that. Ultimately, be on your best behavior next week. Don't screw this up for them, okay? It's a big deal. <laughs> next up Sunday is also when our rising kindergartners move into this incredible space called the warehouse for K through third graders. It's when our rising fourth graders move into our fourth and fifth grade room where just a year ago on Next Up Sunday, we committed to creating a better space for them where every week they get to read their Bible and sit in a small group with other fourth and fifth grade kids and talk about real stuff, life stuff, faith stuff. In just a few moments, we'll celebrate a child dedication. And all of this is because we want Collective to be a church where kids experience the good news of Jesus, where it's not just about us and our relationships and our faith, but it's about creating space for them to learn and grow in their faith as well. Proverbs 22.6 says, direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. For more than a decade, public health expert Tyler Vanderweel and his team at Harvard tracked the development of tens of thousands of kids as they transitioned from early childhood into adulthood. And the study focused on social, physical, and mental health trends, as well as healthy and unhealthy behaviors like substance abuse, anxiety and depression, community engagement, and sexual activity. And when Vanderweel and his team started the study, their goal was to figure out what type of schooling was best for kids and what type of education led to healthier adults. And so they compared kids who went to public school, private school, Christian school, and kids that were homeschooled. And they found when comparing the key health indicators that there was minimal difference between the long-term well-being of adolescents based on what type of school they attended. Statistically speaking, they found that there was no discernible impact. And really, this 10-year study was a bust. Even Vanderbilt said, we didn't go in having any clear expectations, but we certainly didn't expect to find basically nothing, which is what we found. But check this out. Vanderbilt and his team didn't waste a decade of research because they did find that kids who regularly attended church growing up were less likely to struggle with the big three dangers of adolescence. This is depression, substance abuse, and premature sexual activity. 
They also found that the adults who attended church as children were more likely to grow up happy, to be forgiving, to have a sense of mission and purpose, and to volunteer. And that children who grew up in the church and kept their faith as adults had a 30% decrease in all-cause mortality, a 30% decrease in incidence of depression, and a five-fold reduction in suicides. Vanderwill went on to say that regardless of school type, it is more beneficial to go to church, both as an adolescent and as an adult. In other words, it is more important that kids consistently attend church on Sundays than what type of school that they go to. Another amazing thing that the study found is that the type of schooling didn't have an impact on whether a child was regularly in church because it all came down to the parents. Parents who make being in church a priority, meaning being there over 50% of the Sunday, set up their children for more success socially, physically, and in their mental health. That's why Proverbs says, direct your child onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. When Ray was pregnant, with Elise, I was working at a church a few hours away, and one Sunday morning, I mean, we're about to have this kid. Uh, one of the staff members actually comes up to us and says, man, if I wasn't on staff here, I wouldn't put my kids in this, in this children's ministry. And that conversation stuck with me, and it shaped so much of what we do at Collective, because Collective Kids is a place where I know my children are safe. I know every single week that they are growing in their faith. It's a place where I know they are on the right path. And I'm just being honest with you all, uh, because I think this is important to know, not all children's ministries are created equal. They are not. And there are a lot of churches I would not put my kids in their children's ministries. That's why when I take a preaching break in the summer, my family's still here. Because even though I might be visiting some other churches and learning from other leaders, I, I don't trust other spaces with the, my kids. A collective is a place where I know my kids can thrive and where they can grow and where they can learn. In Collective Kids, we set up intentionally designed environments for birth through fifth graders to learn about faith in Jesus. And back there, they worship. They do small groups where they discuss a Bible lesson every week. They even have opportunities as they get older to be helpers in the classrooms and start serving. And we do this for pre-K through fifth graders so they can learn how to grow in their faith, how to take next steps, how to be involved, it's all specially designed just for them to hear the good news and to make friends and have fun. And because kids are not an afterthought here, we invest our time and our resources so they can have the best space possible to learn about Jesus. For our students, this is why we don't have separate church services for middle and high schoolers. We want them to be in these seats, worshiping, learning, and serving next to you all. Tom Rainer wrote in his book, Essential Church, that students are 60% more likely to stick with church and faith as adults if they are a part of a church where they can rub shoulders with adults who are living out their faith in Jesus. Because for teenagers, it's not about programs, it's about relationships. It's about creating environments where kids can grow and they can actually thrive in their faith. One of the best verses that I think sums this up is 1 Timothy 4.12, which says this. It says, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say and the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Paul writes this to a guy named Timothy, who is a younger leader in the church at the time. In fact, most scholars believe that Timothy was in his late teens. And there are two really important things I want to point out from this. The first is this. The students who are in here right now, this was written essentially to you. So I encourage you to take this to heart. Because it doesn't matter how young you are, your faith can be an example for others. 
You can be an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus in your school. Instead of following trends and culture, you can live in a way that your friends follow you as you follow Christ. But you can also be an example in your family. You don't have to wait on your parents' permission to take a next step in your faith, to start reading your Bible, to start praying, to get baptized, to invite your friends to church. The second reason I share this, though, is because Paul, uh, who was a church planner, he's creating space for Timothy the younger generation have purpose in the church. He's creating an environment where the younger generations matter, where they can grow into leaders, where they can shape the future. And that's what we want for collective. That's why we do collective kids and youth collective the way we do it here. And it's not just on parents. The reason why we do this on a Sunday morning and have this conversation is because this isn't a burden that parents only feel. Really, if you are sitting in this room today, whether you have children or not, or your children are adults or not, it's irrelevant because we should all feel the burden of creating the right path for younger generations in this church. You know, when starting Collective, I never imagined that my kids would love this church as much as they do. In fact, I, I feared that they wouldn't love it uh, as much as I, I hoped they would. I never imagined that they would have people in their lives who aren't family, who genuinely love them and give up their time for them every single week. I never imagined that during the week they would ask me, is it church day yet? Ultimately, I never honestly understood the impact that this church would have on my kids. But I can say confidently as a parent, not as the lead pastor of this church, but as a parent, that my kids' lives are better because they have this church. And I know that I'm not the only parent who feels this way. And that is why Next Step Sunday is so important at Collective, because it serves as a reminder that there are over 100 kids today in this space that need us. They need us as the adults in their lives to keep creating opportunities for them to experience Jesus, where they can learn how to worship, how to be generous, how to serve, how to grow, how to heal, how to trust Jesus through the lives of the adults around them. And so right now, what we're going to do is we're going to transition into our child dedication. And Bethany Pennington, our children's director, is going to share a little bit more about why today matters. Give it up for Bethany. Hey, Collective. Uh, as Michael said, my name is Bethany, and I'm the staff director of Collective Kids. Um, and as you've heard and definitely seen from our parking lot setup, there is something different going on today at Collective. This Sunday officially marks the end of the school year in Collective Kids as we invite many of our students to celebrate their final day in their current classroom before moving up to the next or the final day in Collective Kids altogether before jumping into Youth Collective as brand new middle schoolers. Beyond these grade-specific transitions and milestones, we're also making this day about celebrating all the growth that has happened this past year in the lives of our kids as they've spent time with us on Sundays getting to know Jesus, asking big questions about God and faith, and wrestling with what it means to follow Him. Uh, all this and more is Next Steps Sunday. Now, Next Steps are a big part of the culture, the community, and the conversation here at Collective, and so naturally, we make it a big part of Collective Kids, too. They're identified and celebrated because Next Steps signify movement and growth that's happening in your faith and in your relationship with Jesus. It's the worship song that you hear that makes you go home and create a playlist around it because you know you need to have more of this good music in your life. It's understanding your need for community. So you join the collective team and you help us create space for other people to get, grow in their faith. 
It's the baptism you see one Sunday morning that pushes you to check the box and set up some time to talk about your own decision to follow Jesus because that person's story sounded a lot like yours and you know something has been missing from it. It's the message of hope that you hear every Sunday at Collective and you long for your kids to one day understand and claim that hope as their own. So you make a commitment as a parent to give your kids the space, the tools, and the guidance they need to get to know Jesus. Which brings me to this moment right now. Today, nine of our families here at Collective are taking their next step and participating in this year's child dedication for that very reason. To make a commitment and share that commitment with this community because they know a life with Jesus for their kids is worth the work ahead of them as parents. Now, if I'm going to share with you why a day like today matters so much and why the child dedication is such a big deal, then I first need to tell you about my favorite movie. Okay, just go with me on this. Okay, so to start with, I am not a great decision maker. Not because I make terrible decisions, but simply because I struggle to land on a final decision. And while many of my decision-making anxieties pertain to actual life decisions, I also genuinely struggle with finding my favorites. Favorite color, favorite food, favorite music. Those of you who know me well are probably thinking Taylor Swift. Her favorite music is Taylor Swift. Maybe, but if I'm being completely honest, uh, it might be that I've spent the last 10 years of my life not being able to actually choose something else to listen to. So, Taylor it is. Now, despite this exhausting truth about myself, my favorite movie is probably one of the easiest categories that I've been able to decide upon. It is a 2013 movie. So while I'm not too worried about spoiler alerts, because at this point, you have had your chance to see it, um, I'll keep the synopsis brief and I'll refrain from ruining too much of the story. It's called About Time. About Time is a beautiful story of an ordinary guy who learns that he has an extraordinary ability to return to various moments of his life with the plan of perfecting them. The perfect life. How hard could that be? Of course, his ability isn't as easy to figure out as he had hoped. A perfect life isn't as desirable or even as attainable as he had expected because it comes with some pretty big sacrifices. And despite his best efforts to enjoy this extraordinary ability, he draws the following conclusion as the movie comes to a close, and I'm sorry, this is probably the spoiler bit. He says, the truth is, I now don't travel back at all, not even for a day. I try to live every day as if I've deliberately come back to this one day to enjoy it as if it was the full final day of my extraordinary, ordinary life. Okay, you will need to watch this movie to fill in some of the gaps, but his closing thought is what has stuck with me all of these years. Instead of going back and fixing moments over and over again, he realized it made more sense and was truly more satisfying if he just did it right the first time, using the time that everyone has to truly make the moments count. Now this movie, try as we, sorry, this is a movie, and try as we might, we cannot go back in time to relive moments over and over again for enjoyment or in an effort to make things right or perfect. But perhaps all that he learned from using his movie magic ability can transfer into our own day-to-day -day living. Specifically as we work on growth in our character, growth in our relationships, and growth in our faith and our pursuit to follow God. What if we lived every day deliberately? What if we lived every day as if each one that passed was our full final day? 
What conversations would we have? What decisions would we make? What moments would we savor? What heartaches would we finally let go of? What would surface to the top as priorities and what would suddenly seem so insignificant? What next steps would we finally take in our faith? How would we lead others in their faith? This life does not grant us do-overs and it doesn't promise us tomorrow. So what we have is right now and whatever we're willing to do with it. And that is why a day like today, Next Step Sunday, matters so much. But there's more, something less out of a movie and a little more grounded in reality. In their co-authored book entitled Sticky Faith, Dr. Kara E. Powell and Dr. Chap Clark not only outline their research through the Fuller Youth Institute known as the College Transition Project, but they share the connections they found between a student's faith trajectory and the involvement of those closest to them in their life. From their research, they determined that 40 to 50% of kids who graduate from a church or youth group will fail to stick with their faith in college. Of that 40 to 50%, 80% intended to stick with their faith, but didn't. They go on to explain that 30 to 60% of those who abandon their faith and the church do return to both in their late 20s. But they remind readers, those young adults have already faced significant forks in the road regarding friendship, marriage, vocation, worldview, and lifestyle, all while their faith has been pushed to the back seat. They will have to live with the consequences of those decisions for the rest of their life. And that one hits a little more closer to home. Today is Next Step Sunday, and as our graduating fifth graders leave today, they won't be returning to collective kids as students, maybe one day as team members, but not as students. Next week, these new sixth graders, they'll be here in this room participating in worship with you, and their world will suddenly become very big. And just like you and me, they will not have do-overs. The 11-year-old you see in the, row, in the row with you next week will have to face the same challenge that you face on your way home from Collective. What am I going to do right now with what Pastor Michael is teaching me today? What am I going to do to deliberately make today count for something in my faith, in my relationships, and in my in leadership of others? And in just a few years, or what seem like a few years, those same 11-year-olds will be graduating out of high school, and whether purposefully or not, they will be determining the fate of their faith. Thankfully, though, kids have a circle of influence for themselves, and even more thankfully, research has suggested that parents are ranked higher within that circle of influence than many parents would likely have assumed. Because of this research and the perfect position that they are in to provide guidance, wisdom, and leadership for their kids and to actually have it make a lasting impact, Powell and Clark purposely spend the better part of Sticky Faith offering tools and strategies for parents that invite them to positively influence the outcome of their child's faith, not to choose it for them, but to influence it. And the majority of their strategies and suggestions point back to one main point, and really, it's for everyone in this room because it actually applies to us all. And here it is. It's great that you're here, and parents, it's great that your kids are here. Like Michael mentioned, connection and consistency in church matters in a very big way. But to piggyback on that, our faith and the conversations and the disciplines that come with it, it has to come home with us. 
Search Institute conducted a nationwide study of 11,000 teenagers from 561 church congregations across six different denominations, and they learned from this study that 12% of these youth have regular dialogue with their mom on faith and life issues. Only 5% have these conversations with their dad. Additionally, they found that just 9% of these teenagers read the Bible with their families. So to start, they encourage parents to read your Bible. Read your Bible with your kids. Talk as a family about God and share what he's doing around you in your life and in your faith. Pray for your kids. And maybe more importantly, pray with your kids. Share, your share with your family your own struggles, how you're wrestling in your faith and how you're being pushed to trust God. Sticky conversations is what they call them. And they lead to a sticky faith. Beyond that, their other strategies settle into one additional broad reminder, and it's maybe a little bit harder than the last, and it definitely requires more intentionality. Model what following Jesus looks like, and let your kids see, hear, and experience what a life with him is really all about. Here's what they said specifically. How you express and live your faith will have a greater impact on your child's life than any other factor. The reality is that what matters more than looking like we are living a faithful Christian life is choosing to live a life a certain way because Christ has compelled us. And Matthew 5 illustrates this beautifully. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, if you're in this room today, maybe students aside, you know that you don't end up here because someone else made you come. You know you don't take that next step because someone else forced you to. You know that you don't choose a life with Jesus simply because someone else wants it for you. The choice is yours. The step is yours to take. But that gentle influence, the guidance, the invitations, the prayers being said, whispering your name, whispering the names of our kids in hopes that God will continue to work in the hearts of those who haven't chosen a life with him yet. That's the choice of someone else. That's the work for someone else. And in the case of today and this moment, that someone else includes all of the parents who are participating in today's child dedication. They've decided that their influence and their impact on the future of their kids' faith, that's the work they're choosing. It's what they're choosing right now to make today deliberate and make today truly count in the very biggest of ways. As I shared before, today we have nine families dedicating 12 children between our two services. And so far, in preparation for each one of the child dedications that we've celebrated throughout the history of Collective, we've asked our parents to think about the type of person they pray that their child or children will grow up to become. You'll see on the screen the words that each family decided upon as they're introduced, but here are just some of the responses that I received. Patient, mindful, wise, sincere, honorable, faithful, bold, Confident, steadfast, kind, generous, and courageous. Parents want so much for their kids. And through this next step, these parents are taking that want for more and making it a decision to do more. To do the hard work, to be the brightest light, and the most honest and vulnerable influence in their kids' lives. 
to hopefully study the course of their child's faith trajectory and impact the next steps they one day choose to take. Before sharing their commitments, uh, I'd like to first introduce you to this service's participating parents and the children that they'll be dedicating today. Uh, Dylan and Holly Beitzel, dedicating Aubrey. James and Ashley Canary, dedicating Kenley, Tessa, and Claude. Corey and Dana Metz, dedicating Ruby. And Chris and Holly Spooneyer, dedicating Sophia and Caleb. For these families, I want to share one final sticky faith finding that the authors determined to be true after they, after they gathered all of their research. They said, by the time your child enters late adolescence, your faith is no longer what sustains them or even holds their interest in God or church. As they mentally move into abstract awareness and begin to reflectively wrestle with their identity, they realize that Christianity is something they need to discover and decide to embrace on their own. But parents, you still have right now. Today you have chosen to stand in front of your church community to make a series of commitments, commitments to be deliberate with today and deliberate with the time you have right now. Here are those commitments. These parents have committed to raising their kids in such a way that creates space for them to get to know Jesus. They've committed to sharing with them the truth of the Bible. They've committed to engaging in faith conversations at home and on a regular basis. They've committed to encouraging their kids' spiritual development and the next steps in their faith. And finally, they've committed to modeling their own faith and their own relationship with Jesus and what it looks like to follow him. This is a really big deal. So congratulations, parents, on these very big commitments. We're very proud of you and so proud of the decision that you've made to do everything you can to positively impact your kids' faith journey, leading them, supporting them, praying for them, and cheering them on. Collective, will you share your excitement and your encouragement with these families right now and just give them a round of applause? All right, I'm not done just yet because when it comes to creating space for kids to get to know Jesus and grow in their faith, it actually takes more than just the involvement of parents, the collective staff, and the collective team. It takes you too. The collective community, these parents' community, our kids' community. So here's your part in all of this. Here's what these parents need from you too. They need to know that you will love their kids and show them that Jesus is for their kids. They need to know that they have people to turn to when they face tricky conversations and difficult phases in their kids' lives. They need to know that you will remind them to be here because Collective is a safe place for their kids to experience grace and truth throughout every age and stage of their life. However, they also need to know that you'll encourage them to have those follow-up conversations throughout the week about what they learned and talked about on Sunday because those talks are just as important. And finally, they need to know that you're praying for them, praying for wisdom as they parent their kids, praying for strength as they lead their kids, and praying for patience as they await their kids' next steps and the decision to follow Jesus one day. Thank you for being a community that these parents can turn, you, to, turn to, for being a community where they can find love and support and a place where they can find a true celebration of next steps. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we're grateful for a day like today when we get to celebrate the work you're doing in the lives of this community. 
We're honored to be a part of it and to celebrate the commitments that these parents are making today and the steps that they're choosing to take to trust you. God, we thank you for these kids, the people they'll grow up to become, and the steps that they are taking in their faith and will take in their faith along the way. God, we ask for wisdom for these parents as they look to you for guidance and direction and patience as they allow their kids to take next steps of their own. And finally, God, we pray for this community as a whole, for the encouragement and the support that they offer one another, the challenges to grow that they're presented with, and the celebrations that they share with one another along the way. We pray for each person here and the next steps that they're working through right now. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Can we give it up one more time for the families? As they step off stage today, we do have one more important part uh, about Next Step Sunday. And while today is a day of celebration, um, one of the things that we want to do is we want to honor the families in this church who have been through loss. Because um, there's so much joy and there's so much hope in a day like today, but there are people uh, who go to collective where today's a hard one. And um, it's a lot of things that they've been wrestling with or, or feeling um, because they don't have the opportunity to be, be here right now. And so the way that we're going to do that uh, today is that um, we're going to donate $5,000 to an organization called Foreknown Ministries that supports families who have suffered through miscarriage or stillbirth or child loss. And this is an incredible Christian organization that helps these families uh, through the grieving process, that helps these families uh, find community um, and, and really know that they're not alone as, as they experience that loss, um, but really helps them see that there's a future and a future hope through Jesus. Um, and we're making that donation on the behalf uh, of those families here who have been through that before. Um, and we just want to say one more thing about that. If you want more information about that, I want to get connected to Foreknown Industries, please come find me or Bethany after service today because we'd love to help you get connected there.